This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Tired of not getting a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. From NPR, I'm Sam Sanders. It's been a minute. Today I want to talk about the funniest joke I have heard, or comedic bit I have heard, in maybe the last few years. It is a long riff on celebrity chef Guy Fieri. People shit on that dude all the time. And as far as I can tell, all he ever did was follow his dreams. That is the voice of Shane Torres. And this joke, his joke, became its own certifiable meme online. There are BuzzFeed articles about this thing. Patton Oswalt, himself a very big deal comic, he once said that Shane Torres's Guy Fieri joke is the one joke by another comic he wished he could steal. Now, the Guy Fieri joke has been in the world for a few years at this point, but I just recently discovered Shane Torres. Hi, Shane. Can you hear me? I can. Can you hear me? How goes it? Not too bad. How about yourself? I saw Shane at a comedy club called Largo in L.A. a few weeks ago. And I don't usually go to comedy shows because I have no idea how to find the good ones. But some friends set this up, and I said, sure, whatever. Not expecting anything. That's the exact kind of enthusiasm we love as comedians for sure. Shane exceeded my expectations. As soon as the show was done, I began to try to book him on this show. So Shane's at a point in his comedy career that we don't often get to hear about. He is on the road almost 250 days a year. Shane lives in New York, and sometimes there he will do his act 15 times in a single weekend, just hopping around the different clubs and bars all across the city. We talk about what that's like in this chat. We also talk about how comedy is handling our current president. And of course, Shane and I discuss our shared Texas roots. Okay. Enjoy. So we are both from two of the same places. Oh, yeah? I also grew up in Texas, in San Antonio, you in Fort Worth, or the Fort I, Worth area. Yeah. And we both lived in Portland, Oregon for a while. Did we? Wow. How about that? How long were you in Portland? I was there uh, maybe 2004. So I was there like 14, 15 years ago. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, what about yourself? I was there for a few months in 2010, and I was working for the public radio station out there, Oregon Public Broadcasting. OPB, I love OPB, them. You know OPB. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know me. Exactly. Uh, uh, my mother, uh, when mm-hmm. I told her I was going to be on public radio once for a different thing, mm-hmm. I had, at this point I'd done like a few big TV spots, and she was like, that's great. But when I told her I was going to be on NPR uh, for another thing I did, she lost her mind, like, and then really? like, uh, yeah, and then OPB. She's like, yeah, it was very, I love it. It was very cute. It was very cute old Irish lady thing to do. Oh, so your mother's Irish. Yeah. Now your last name is Torres. Is your father Latino? Uh, yeah. Uh, my father was a first generation Mexican American, and my mother was from Southern Ireland. That must uh, have made for a fun household. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when they were together. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> was there? I found myself, when I was thinking about comparing life in Texas to life in Portland, Oregon, it's really different experiences. I mean, one place is just inherently more liberal than the other, and, like, mm-hmm. the other place. But it's weird. Like, Portland is more liberal, but also more white. Like, I saw fewer brown people up there. Oh, for sure. Texas. 
It was so, it was so, but it was like full of these really earnest and nice white people. <laughs> like they really wanted to be your friend, but I was like, where are the blacks? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think everybody, I am white more or less, you know, like, so like, I guess with me, people like look at me and they're like, oh, he, yeah, I forget you're Mexican sometimes. I totally uh, assumed you were Latina. That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like a lot, I think a lot of, you know, but. Texans probably see you differently because, you know. Yeah. Because it's different. The contrast yeah. was, I don't know maybe if you felt this way or not, but like when I got there, I was just mm-hmm. like, some of this is the is wonderful. And this is like what I've been looking for. So that was like part of it. But then part of it was like, this is too liberal at times. Like, <laughs> Explain. Like there was a strip joint like 10 feet from a high school. You know, because mm-hmm. there's not like they have like extremely liberal like zoning laws in that city, and it's like the strip club capital of the country. Yeah, I, more there per capita than any place. I went to plenty of them, uh, but <laughs> but I was just like, this seems like you know a lot. Yeah. Uh, do you miss Texas at all? Texas, yeah, I do, but it's not the same place to me that it was when I grew up. Explain. There, I'm just grown. I've been gone for 15 years. My life is. I've been gone. Two thirds of the time I was, I'd live there, and it's just like you know, like I have a few friends that I'm still very close to there, and then my brothers live there, but I don't ever see myself settling there or anything like that. I would go back. You would? Yeah, I think what I like San Antonio, Eh, somewhere around there. It's it's San Antonio is a great city, man. San Antonio is hella cool. Man, I was there. I was playing the improv there. It's good vibes. I crushed some Mexican food. I was killing it. Listen, listen. <laughs> that's that's what I miss. Also, it's like I don't know. I compare Texas to California. Like it's a state that's too big and too diverse to put in any one box. Like yeah, and that's what I like about it. Like you you drive two hours east, two hours west, or in a different climate with different people. Yeah, you go. And, like yeah, that's cool. And, yeah, and that is cool. And you get to meet, but they're all still very Texan. There is this wild rabbit allegiance to the state. Yeah, like I, I, I'll, I'll never not claim Texas and like defend Texas. Yes, that's I got a lot more intense about being from Texas the moment people started being like about people from yeah. Texas. Yeah, yeah, and, and I was I also moved when Bush too was still in office, so I had a lot of like you know like pigeonholing done my way. Yeah, which is so annoying, and this yeah. is the thing. It's like. Liberals do it to conservatives and vice versa. It's oh. not like one side is better about doing that. Yeah, Everyone and, just wants a pigeonhole and typecast. It's it's crazy how like uh, okay people are with something as long as they agree with the person doing it. Yeah, that's like the whole state of our politics right now. Yeah. Man, do you joke about good. politics on stage? Not really. I mean, why not? One, I don't know if I'm informed enough, and two, I don't know if I could write a good enough. Jo- I'm informed enough to write a joke that somebody else couldn't tell. Yeah. You know, like so, and that's. I also feel like a lot I also, of the they, com- they come to laugh, and politics are extremely divisive now, more than oh, any yeah. other time in my life. Well, and then there's so many comics that I'll see on TV or online or whatever. They think just dunking on Trump and saying he's awful is a joke. That's not a joke. No, it's lazy. It's not smart. That's this is the thing. I feel like so much of the comedy surrounding the president and our politics right now is just lazy. Yeah, do you feel that way? Yeah, I do. I do, and I think there's some people who do brilliant stuff about the president and about politics right now and like young people not just established political comedians mm-hmm. and I think there are some people who just happen to have a Twitter following and do it mm-hmm. uh, and just like and, well it's like I don't know there are a lot of funny people who are funny yeah, and they've just devoted half of their lives and their brain space to like 
crapping on Trump every day. And I'm like, sure, you can do that, whatever you want. But, like, gosh, I really liked it when you were funny. I yeah. miss that. I miss yeah. that. And I'm not the first person to say this, and nor will I be the last, but it's not brave for you to go into your room uh, at an alternative comedy show and have an opinion that the rest of the room has. Come on. Exactly. It's it's, exactly. it's, it's lazy, and you're, you're not being an artist. You're not being creative. What you're being is unoriginal and and slow to form. Well, I also, like, I wonder, there is a little more tone policing that I'm used to seeing around the world of comedy and what y'all get to say and not it's say. Try- yeah, people are trying. Some people are still doing it because, of the, you know, like, I have a thing where I talk about since so many comics lately have been me tooed and outed and I have a bit where I talk about what it sucks, how it it hurts to lose somebody you really admire in that like Who have you lost that you admire? You know, like I, I grew up on the Cosby show. Like that was like a you know, an important thing to me. Uh and now, you know, like I can't and for good reason. I'm not like, you know, like I'm not advocating that everybody still gets royalties. I'm not a, you know. I mean, it would be nice to see, like, Felicia Rashad still get royalties because she didn't do anything, you know. Yeah, but yeah, yeah she's great. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but the point being that, like, it's weird to lose that. Same thing with with Louis. Same thing with Ryan Adams. Like, all these people make, some of them make great art. And if you want to have the integrity say you're going to have, you don't get to absorb it anymore. Yeah. Or you need to, like, yeah, figure out a way how you can justify it. I'm going to ask you the question I've asked every comic that's come on my show in the last, like, year, especially the male comics. Uh, do you think it's gone too far? Me too, in the comedy world. I think at points I have thought that, for sure. And then I, at the same time, I have been proven over and over again that, you know, maybe it hasn't gone far enough. Mm. I, you know, I've seen some behavior where I look at guys and I'm like, Oh man, I didn't think that was that bad, or you know. And now, mm-hmm. like, I'm, I'm a little more aware. Well, because like oh, yeah, we're men, and, and they're not creeping on us, so we don't have to see it. Yeah. So you look at yourself, and that's good. You need to. That's uh, the thing. It's like I think a lot of men specifically feel like the movement has gone too far because they're having to ask themselves a lot of uncomfortable questions. But like, the point is for you to ask yourself a lot of yeah, uncomfortable questions. Yeah, for sure. And we need to still be doing that. And I think the pendulum swung really hard in one direction, and now it's coming back the other way a little bit because it has to you have to go too far to make some change I think it, if that mm. makes sense like you need yeah, to yeah. yeah maybe not too far but like you need to make a blunt you go hard Im- yes you have to make a blunt impact you can't be if you're gonna make change you can't be offering you can't concessions just ask out of the for gate. It and say maybe a little yeah, bit of change yeah. please yeah it's gotta be yeah you gotta be hard nosed about it so I I can respect that yeah well I also like I wonder like Part of the work is clearing out these awful men, but part of the work is changing the culture of comedy so it's not just a boys' club. And I don't think that anyone's figured that out yet. Do you think that is changing? Probably not fast enough, but I do. And I I see it. I see it when I'm booked on shows. Lineups are more diverse. Uh, People have to be more holy-minded about it. Like, Mm -hmm. one, because they get called out for it. And that's probably a reason a lot of people do it. Yeah. You know, uh, but... I do think it's changing. All right, time for a break. When we come back, Shane's famous Guy Fieri bit and what it reveals about comedy writ large. BRB. 
Support for NPR and the following message come from RCA Records, presenting Pink's new album, Hurts to Be Human, featuring the hit songs Walk Me Home, Hurts to Be Human featuring Khalid, Hustle, Can We Pretend featuring Cash Cash, and more. Pink's new album, Hurts to Be Human, available everywhere now. Listeners, if you love It's Been a Minute, and I hope you do, then you should check out Life Kit. It is a show with tools to help you get it together. Think of it as that friend who always has great advice on everything from how to invest to how to get a great workout. Subscribe now to Life Kit All Guides so you can get episodes on every topic all in one place. You can find Life Kit in your podcast app or at npr.org slash Life Kit. I heard you do this Guy Fieri bit when I saw you, and I was like, uh, oh, my God, yeah. this is did, the best thing I in the world. Did I do that? I didn't do that at Largo. I swear you did it. Maybe you Googled it or YouTube, because I don't think I Maybe did I Googled afterwards. Well, anyways. Yeah. Uh, okay. uh, yeah, I, I'm not, I know I'm not doing that one anymore. Okay. You still could know people love it. Anyways, backstory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just get, to, you know, like it's a... I know, I know. Yeah. You don't want to have your give... whole life defined as being the Guy Fieri comic. Yeah, yeah. But... Unless I, I get a cut, yeah. Maybe they will. So yeah. I guess to set this up, I went home, I guess, that night, Googled you, found the Guy Fieri bit, and I was like, the whole world needs to know about this. And then I realized <laughs> that kind of the whole world does. You first <laughs> you first made this joke or did this bit, what, in 2017, if not before? Yeah. 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 And, and, like, then you end up doing it on Conan, and then it's part of your special. I want to play a bit of it because, like, I just, there's so much to unpack in it, and I know you're tired of doing this, and I know you have talked about this joke forever. We're just going to do a little bit just for me. Oh, it's fine. He started a company where he hires everybody. He pays more than minimum wage. He gives health benefits before he has to. He has a nonprofit where he gives pretzel-making machines to schools so they can fundraise. I know that one sounds like I made it up, but I swear to Christ, it's true. <laughs> he works with Special Olympics athletes, and if you need a little more sugar with this medicine, he also officiated a gay wedding. Yeah. But because he has flames on his shirt, everybody... <laughs> all over this dude like he's a member of Nickelback. <laughs> and by the way, what the hell did Nickelback ever do? <laughs> so the whole bit is basically like, why is everyone so mean to Guy Fieri, the celebrity chef we all love to hate? Did you expect it to have such legs? I thought it might do well like on social media and stuff, but I didn't like think I didn't I wasn't like ready to make memes about it or anything like that. You know, I just I thought like made, I was proud right? of the bit and I knew it was working when I was making it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I, I knew I was right, which was the other thing. And I also know, like, every joke about Guy Fieri is easy. You know, yeah. like, yeah. It's also so, very classist. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, like, quote unquote, normal people like Guy Fieri, which is even more reason for, like, some people to hate him. Yeah. The world is such a nasty place right now, and everybody's ready to dump on it. There's a point where, like, negativity just became a valid form of opinion without having mm-hmm. any substance behind it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's just that was just an easy place to make, make that point. Do you think that threat of the culture is getting better? This, like, just being mean to nice people just because you can? Are we moving past that? <laughs> or have we just doubled down on our, uh, on our Guy Fieri-hating-ness? I don't know, man. It's, um, I don't know if it's getting better or worse, but... Uh, it's definitely not gone. I know do that. You, yeah. Do you think comics can play a part in making it better? I kind of I You're find myself to. thinking philosophically about like the role of comedy and jokes in such a kind of divided moment. Like, 
I do think like some of the work of uniting the country again, or at least calming things down, it is not going to come from our politics and politicians. It's going to come from like the art makers and the culture makers and the taste makers and like the comics. Yes, I do think comedians will do that. But I also I do think um, there's like until you see somebody making a good joke about some conservative pundit on SNL that is like thoughtful and and paints them in a good light. You know, like not that there are many of them or anything. Well, the point I'm trying to make is like when you make mean jokes about people, even if you are right. It doesn't do anything to get them to change their mind. You and it's just not helping like the a culture writ large. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you like I'm not saying this. I want to see Tucker Carlson as the host of SNL, but... Uh, <laughs> no, well, now that you say it, I do. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> that, that would might be, be funny. It might be pretty funny. Like, um, just a weird immersion therapy for, like, the media elite markets. Uh, <laughs> I But, like, they probably don't feel like they get that voice, you know, like, across in their entertainment and their comedy. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, conservatives, I mean. And... You still need to be responsible with it. It's still, I don't know, man. Well, for me, it's like a lot of the things that I'm saying to myself now. It's like, all right, everyone is in this place in the culture where everyone wants to do everything they can do because they can. But people are not thinking about whether or not they should, what they should be doing. Like, is your set elevating the discourse? Is that joke helpful to the dialogue? Is the work I'm doing on my show... Is it making us angrier or calming things down? You know, yeah. like I or is can't it just make about every... you exactly. Yeah. But you still need to relate yourself in your creativity because that's what is good about it for you. Yeah, too, so that's very. But there is this. Line. Yeah, well, there's there's this lack of a feeling of creative responsibility. I think everyone yeah. is out for themselves right now. Yeah, and everybody's trying to get theirs. Has uh, Guy called you, Guy Fieri? He did. Yeah, well, he did. Yeah. Uh, well, how took, does how does Guy Fieri like say hello? Really, it took him a year. <laughs> yeah. How does Guy Fieri called, say hello? He's busy. He's a pretty busy guy. Yeah, uh, he has like a bajillion restaurants. Yeah. Uh, he. Well, it was weird because it was very short, uh, huh. but it was it was very thoughtful. He uh, he called me. I was on a flight, and we were pushing back from the gate. Uh-huh. And he and I perfect I, time to call. Guy. I got a call from like an L.A. number, and I was like, oh, maybe this is somebody calling about. The gig I'm going to, or something, mm-hmm. and I picked it up, and I was like, I was like, oh, and I was like, what's up, TJ? Because I thought it was my agent, <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> and he goes, Hi, and I was like, who's this? And he goes, uh, he goes, it's uh, he goes, it's Shane Torres there. I was like, uh, who's calling, please? And he goes, uh, it's Guy, and I'm like, uh, who? And he goes, it's Guy Fieri, and I just started laughing really loud, and, uh, <laughs> on the plane. Yeah, yeah, and there's like, and then the guy next to me was like looking at me, and the stewardess was like, you need to get off your phone. And I'm like, hey man, this is him. <laughs> What's up? I was like, it's cool you to call, and he was just—he was just very sweet. He was like, "Hey, I really appreciate it," and uh, and he was like, "He's like, you need to keep kicking." Ass. He's like, "We got a lot to talk about." He's like, "You're," it was very—he's very busy, but it was a very sincere, I felt, call, and that he took uh-huh. the time to do it. All right, time for one more break. In a moment, we'll talk about Shane's life on the road and the unexpected place his performing career began. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
Every six hours, a new dollar store opens up in the U.S. I'm Sarah Gonzalez, and on the latest Planet Money, are there too many dollar stores? Some cities want to ban them. I've never said we don't want any. I've said we have too many. That's on Planet Money. How often are you on the road right now? I did 240 days last year. Dude. Yeah. Is it only domestic or are you abroad as well? Uh, a little bit. I mean, like, you, can you call Calgary abroad? Yeah, uh, sure, why not? <laughs> and I was in Dublin last year. and okay, uh, No, that's definitely abroad. Yeah. 240 nights a year. So you're that was on an last average year. week. That was last year. But Okay, so then on average, how many shows a week? It was, it's weird because the, the, the shows vary in length and time and stuff. Like, I think I have... I'm home in New York this week, and I have mm-hmm. 15 sets this week. Uh, what? That's like that's, that's crazy. A, that's not even. I would say uh, that doesn't even put me in the top 20 of guys of comics in New York who, who do spots. I would I would say there's guys who probably there's probably 50 or 60 more people at least that do that more spots than that a week. Uh, so okay, if 15 sets a week. How, so, so that's like two three a night, night, two a night two, so at yeah. different clubs, same club or what? Uh, both. You know, you bounce around like. The clubs have more stage time to offer, and that's great. But then you also, you know, like there's bar shows in Brooklyn, and like, you know, and like the other thing is like when I'm on the road, if I'm headlining a club, I'm doing an hour. I'm not doing 15 minutes, which is like what you're doing most about the max amount of time you're going to be doing in the city. So uh, if you're doing an hour, that's in the sense of time, that's four sets. If you're like looking at it that way, I'm not doing 15 one hour sets in a week. Uh, You know, I'm doing 10, 15 minute spots in a week, and then. I might go on the road like Thursday through Saturday and do two shows Friday, Saturday, and one on Thursday and be doing 45 minutes to an hour each night. So do you, you like, like that pa- schedule, that pace? It sounds hectic to me. It's very – I like being I, – I'm a fan of working a lot. So, like Snaps. <laughs> uh, like I like – it makes me happy. Yeah. Like I, I took last night off and I, my roommate got home at 930. One of them, she's like, what the hell are you doing here? Uh, <laughs> and then – and it was great. But it's – um. What's a night off where you look like? Vegging out hard. What do you like? Like, like I'm taking up the whole sofa, uh-huh. and I'm watching Friday Night Lights or Billions, and then uh, Billions was so good. Oh yeah, have you watched it last night? No. Okay, well I'll tell you what happens this week. They go to a <laughs> <laughs> no. uh, but yeah, like the night off, man, or it's like you know, and I still like to work when I'm home, you know, even if it just be emailing, yeah. uh, you know, yeah. like and like trying to get spots for the re- the coming weeks. Yeah. When did you decide that you were funny? I don't know. I think I'm getting good at it. But there's always a moment when you're, like, young and you say, I'm going to do comedy now. You have to say to yourself, well, I'm funny enough to do this. When did you start knowing that you could make I think a lot laugh? of times in comedy when people think I'm funny enough to do this is because they're looking at somebody to be bad at it. Uh, which, <laughs> which I <laughs> Did that happen for you? Is the correct bar for entry, you know, like is that, that your... should be one of the. Uh, I mean, I could think of one guy that oh, I was like, "Say it he's out loud." Here every, I was like, "No, he." I'd be like, <laughs> "He's here every week, and he he gets up." And then you look at people who do comedy forever, and they just bomb and bomb, but they just I need keep it. Doing it, yeah, and that, that I can't hate on them for it. What about comedy college? Because I read that in college you were studying like vocal performance. Okay. I don't know what your sources are, but you should probably reveal them. <laughs> so you were. I'm not lying. No, you weren't lying. <laughs> but you got really defensive about I, yeah, that. Yeah, I'm very sir. touchy about that, man. I'm not oh. gonna make you sing if you don't want to sing. You're, it's okay. I'm right. You're not. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, Woo. Um, 
Okay. So I'm like a big music guy. I like a lot of music. What kind of music were you? Well, one, what's your instrument? Well, my instrument was singing, and I played mm-hmm. a, a little guitar, but I, I was bad at both. Like, I just loved music. I got very into music when I was in high school. What genre? Uh, like metal and punk. Uh, my friends were punkers, and I listened to a lot of metal. And then, like, mm-hmm. also, like, I just like like rock, anything rock, indie rock stuff. You know, there are uh, a lot of rock music singers that don't take vocal performance in college. You, like, really went all the way in. I, w- I wanted to, but I was in a band that was, uh, they were good, and I was terrible. Uh, one of the things with music is like, you know, it's such an identifier when you're young and it gives mm-hmm. you a persona. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause you don't like, you think you have an, I, you're like, you want to be like that. Cause that exactly. person looks cool to you. Well, they teach you how to be, you know, yeah, yeah. they teach you how to like inhabit a certain space. Yeah. And they invoke tone and you know, yeah. like, like in, in so many ways and you identify with it. So like, I was like, I loved music and these guys played instruments and I was like, well, I'll, I'll be in your band. And they're like, great. You know, and then that turned out not to be such a great idea. You know, and then I just like, I found comedy at the same time I was in college in Portland. Uh, and I was like, this fits me better. I don't want to go to school anymore. And, How did like, you find it? Was it like a moment, a night, a set? Oh, yeah. Um, there were a few of them. I remember I walked in. Uh, do you know the Baghdad Theater on Hawthorne? Yeah. Yeah, they had. They used to have comedy nights there. Mm-hmm. So it was this, this big like 400-seater theater mm-hmm. right but late on late shows friday mm-hmm. they would do them at like 10 30 there'd be like 30 people oh, in this God, tavern that's demoralizing yeah and comics would be would be there and uh there were all these i run, i had a friday night off uh-huh. and i walked into the show and i was like this is they this was you know a while ago but i was like watching these comics and i was like my god these guys are just different than anything i'd seen mm. like they were all comics there was a guy this guy named Andy Wood who ended up he created the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a guy uh, named Richard Bain uh, who I ended up living with a bit. I mean, he was one of the most naturally gifted, funny people I'd ever mm. seen. Mm. Um, there are these people there. Christine Levine was one of them. These people would just rip and not afraid. Like, and they weren't like uh, so often in comedy you see people doing an impression of what they think comedy should look like, whether it be a specific comic or the idea of acting like, you know, like a late-night comedian, like, hey, mm-hmm. snapping their fingers or whatever, or people doing Hedberg or Bamford yeah. or all these other people. Like, they're just doing – and I get it. You know, you get influences. That's how you start in anything. Like, you don't write a great song at first. You learn to play Nevermind. So, but, like, you know, like, <laughs> but I saw them, and I my basis of comedy at that point was pretty broad in the sense of, like, Cosby, Hicks, and Chappelle. Like, you know, all very famous comedians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so like they were doing this thing. I was like, oh my God, these guys are incredible. And I was like, I was like, I always did like comedy. Maybe I should try getting back into that. So then you decide to do it and like things kind of work out for you. I mean, I'm, I know there's a path and a journey that takes time and you bomb a lot, whatever, whatever, whatever. But like you ended up like on Last Comic Standing, that reality show for comics, which was like a pretty big deal, no? Yeah. Um, <laughs> it is. Well, like yes and no. Okay. It it like it is. It absolutely is. And like Roseanne but, has given you notes on the show. That's that's a big deal. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that seemed like a would have meant a lot more about a year ago. Well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Touche. Yeah. I mean, but does it? You know, it doesn't mean she still doesn't know what she's talking about as a stand-up yeah, comedian. You know, she like, knows the craft. Yeah. You know, like, I mean, I know all this stuff about Louis, but you can't tell me everybody didn't love his for a while. What yeah. notes did Roseanne give you? Uh, she said more growth, more time, which she was actually right about. Um, mm. I did that show. 
They never aired my set. I remember. Wait, they never aired your set? No, no. That happens to so many comics. I uh, I do remember this was one of the most embarrassing moments I've ever had in comedy. Tell me. I got an email from the producers of the show. They're like, hey, you're going to be on the show tonight. They were doing this thing like top 100 jokes mm-hmm. of the of the show. And I was like, oh, well, great. I'm going to be on. So I told everybody, I put it on social media. I was like, guys, watch watch tonight. I'm going to be yeah. on Last Comic Standing. Yeah. And uh, they count down from 100 jokes or 50 jokes or whatever it was. Uh-huh. And then uh, the lower it got, like at first I was like, oh, this is good. I wasn't 50. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to ten. I was like, "Top ten, way to go, Taurus!" Look at you, Shane Taurus, top yeah. ten. Yes. And then uh, we got down to number two, and I was like, "Oh no!" <laughs> Maybe like, you were number one. <laughs> yeah, and then my buddy Ian Carmel, who's a, he's a writer on James Corden now. He's oh, a good I've friend. seen him do a set downtown. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's, he's wonderful. really funny. Yeah, he's like one of my best friends. We live together. Huh. <laughs> he looked at me. He goes, "I guess this means you're number one." And I was like, "I don't think that." He goes, "I was just being nice." <laughs> And then short after that, I was like, hey, I just want to know. I wrote him. I was like, just want to know what happened. You guys told me I was going to be on the show. And they're like, oh, yeah, you said something about something we couldn't get past censor. And I was just like, no. So I have like a mixed relationship with them. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Shane Torres, I really appreciate your work and your time today. And I'm a fan. Thanks for taking the time to have me. All right. Take care. Bye. Many thanks to Shane Torres. As we said, he's on the road all the time. Wisconsin, Illinois, Nevada, Michigan, all those places real soon. Uh, Shane also has a comedy album out. It is called Established 1981. You can find that on Spotify or wherever you stream your stuff. Okay, listeners, Friday is coming very soon. It's always coming very soon. It happens once a week. But that means you have another chance to share with me the best thing that happened to you all week. Just record yourself and email that audio file to me at samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. You might hear yourself in Friday's show. All right, until then, thank you for listening. I'm Sam Sanders. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com switch. Support for NPR and the following message come from Rosetta Stone, the perfect app to achieve your language learning goals no matter how busy your schedule gets. It's designed to maximize study time with immersive 10-minute lessons and audio practice for your commute. Plus, tailor your learning plan for specific objectives, like travel. Get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off and unlimited access to 25 language courses. Learn more at rosettastone.com NPR. What does it mean to be Black in America? In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of stories as varied, nuanced, and dynamic as Black experiences, you'll hear, it means everything. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.